Hi, Todd. Oh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. You heard the one about the former gay banker and the former gay ambassador that spoke at the SALT conference? <laughs> how did that one turn out? I guess we'll see. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to thank Joe and Anthony and the whole team at SALT for having us today. Really, really excited to be here. This is the, I guess, the third time I've gotten to speak at the SALT conference, and I dragged my buddy Rufus here. My first. So well, hopefully not your last. And, yeah, hopefully not my last, and certainly the first time I've been in a room full of so many people in, uh, what, 20 months now. So it feels pretty damn good, to be honest with you. So I'm glad thanks for having us. A little social distancing there. That's good. Indeed. 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 So we figured we'd just start with a little bit of a, a level set in terms of the world of LGBT equality and business. Even 90% of them were financial. So I thought, well, why is a financial services institution? Wouldn't we service this really opportunist market? And so I put together a plan and we brought in almost $2 billion in the first four years. And that was exciting because I got to keep my job, but I also got Merrill to support the gay community because I proved it was a business opportunity. And so fast forward, when I started out leadership 10 years, 10 and a half years ago, you did not see CEOs using their economic platform to advocate for equality. You did not see companies signing on to any of these bills or these collective actions. And so I wanted to start that platform. I looked at Davos, World Economic Forum, Salt, Milken, and I thought, could I create that for LGBTQ equality? And so we did. So we're now the first and only global LGBT business organization. We have about 700 CEOs, some of whom are here today, Dan Loeb and others, uh, who have spoken at our summits and supported our work in New York, London, Hong Kong, Paris, Sydney. We have 91 companies that are members. And using that collective action, we've been able to convene investor statements in places like North Carolina or Indonesia on LGBT equality as a business imperative. Yeah. And so from a, a Rufus perspective, we had the pleasure of meeting many years ago when he was ambassador in Europe. And so I want to flip it to you. I think we jokingly say that we're accidental activists in the sense of we've taken a, a business platform or a political platform and used it to advocate for equality as one of the first openly gay ambassadors. Give us your, uh, your take on that slash growing up. Yeah, I, I think um, that the personal journey is so connected. And you use the term accidental act activist, which is kind of what I think both of us are. And it's uh, I, and I, I still don't consider myself an activist. I just consider myself to be um, honestly grounded. I never lie about who I am. And I think one of the things we forget about if you are an LGBT person in the workplace, uh, and you know all this data, and we'll get into that in a second, but um, so many of us are closeted. And, and it, despite the fact that I was closeted in my 20s in the workplace, um, in the latter stages of my career, I was always, I've always been very open, and I've had very sort of public-facing jobs. Um, and it's and what I think you realize is is that it really makes a difference. Um, so I'm going to talk about this in two different ways. I think so. My, my dad, when I was uh, a kid, I came out at 18, and uh, my dad at the time was a CEO of a bank in Boston. It was uh, Bank Boston at the time, and uh, Fleet uh, after that. And um, it, when I, and I grew up in a fairly conservative and somewhat homophobic household, not religious, but just uh, didn't really understand what what this meant when their son came out of the closet. And um, it, this led my parents to go on this really in, intense journey personally, but also as a business leader. And I think that that was really interesting, both as a family, as his son. You know, my dad back in the 90s was going to his board of directors as uh, CEO of Bank Boston um, and asking for uh, support for the board to, for domestic partnerships. And if you all know what domestic partnerships is, this would feel like a draconian idea now. This was just about providing health insurance to same-sex partners of your employees and actually got voted down initially, meaning the board of directors was like, there's no way in hell that we're doing that. And this is not that long ago, right? This is just, uh, uh, this is what, 25 years ago, something like that. Yep. Um, and, and, but I think if you ask my father, um, 
it, did this make a difference in his life and for his bank, for the corporate culture that existed afterwards, after that advocacy for equality, which only had to do with the fact that his son, not only, I mean, this is obviously part of the value set uh, that was somewhere inside, but it was because of the honesty. It's, it was because of that sharing of stories um, that allowed for this larger conversation to take place culturally. And I, I, I like to tell that story because I do think it really matters. And then separately from that, I think as I grew and, and uh, I was nominated by President Obama to serve as uh, the U.S. ambassador to Denmark in, in, in 2013, uh, the same sort of thing happened. I think when you all think Denmark, you think progressive, you think uh, uh, their, their, their uh, internal journey or domestic journey as it relates to LGBT equality is sort of over. Um, but the truth of the matter is the fact that an American representative would be public, public facing about um, his marriage to his husband uh, actually mattered there too, mattered, there, mattered culturally. It was something that they really want, they, they were very curious about. Um, and I think that when you are sort of in a position of leadership, like so many people in this room are, uh, your leaders in whatever industry that you're uh, you're here representing, um, for you to take uh, for you to take an active leadership role really does matter, and people listen. And I think that that's what we all that is always underestimated. Uh, and so it's uh, and you know we could tell a million stories about how that kind of came to be, uh, but it's been very very meaningful. And it's never I never thought that I would be considered to be an LGBT activist in any way. I've just tried to do my job like you have. Um, and then you realize just there's so much work to be done. Uh, yeah. But it, I, I want to key in on a couple of things you said. First of all, it's being out and visible. I mean, the yeah. fact that people are out as leaders, as ambassadors, as bankers, as lawyers, as people in humanity uh, matters significantly. And yet, I think if we took a poll in the audience, you would probably think that most people would assume that with marriage equality passing, that all the issues are gone, right? Like that there are no issues for LGBTQ people in the United States or around the world, and that's patently false. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that. But the second thing was just your father. And I've had the pleasure of meeting your parents several times. And something that, that Rufus did mention was his parents actually wrote an op-ed in one of the Boston newspapers around marriage equality supporting it and marched in a gay pride parade. And I had the opportunity to interview them at an event in Boston many years ago. And there were so many employees who were from Bank Boston and Bank of America and literally came to that event specifically to thank Chad for being a leader and an ally and said exactly what Rufus said in a different way, that his dad's allyship mattered for their career, for their life, for their ability to feel like they could be out at work. And if you think about being out or, or covering, we like to talk about the idea that you hide aspects of who you are in an environment. And I know there was a panel on diversity and talent a little bit ago. People don't bring their whole selves, whatever that is. It's not just LGBTQ people. And if you can't bring your whole self, then you're losing and your company's losing. No, and I was just going to follow up on that too, Todd. So you have such incredible data. You know, I mentioned that sort of a, that my, my father's board of directors voted down domestic partnerships 25 years ago. And I think a lot of us think that sort of the, 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 the actual equality, this panel's, this conversation is called the return on equality. Well, yeah, do, don't LGBT people have full equality right now? And I think lots of people think that that is in fact true after we have marriage. Um, but talk about some of the data that actually exists, especially inside the workplace. Yeah. Um, that your organization, Out Leadership, has really kind of been driving so much of this research and data. Well, just take a very simple one. What percentage of employees are still in the closet in the workplace in the United States today? 52%. How many companies have 100% on the HRC Human Rights Campaign Corporate Equality Index over 680? So there's this delta, there's difference between policy and culture. 
So it's not just about having the policies inside your company, but at a state level, there are 181 anti-LGBTQ bills in 31 state legislatures currently. Some state legislatures have more than one bill under consideration. A Texas one, for a good example, would actually make parents guilty of child neglect if they support gender-affirming surgery for their trans or gender non-conforming kid and their kid could be taken away from them. I mean, there are massive challenges that still exist all across the United States. In 67 countries around the world, it is still illegal to be LGBTQ in one way, shape, or form. And in about a quarter of those countries, you can be imprisoned or killed. And from my framework, in all of those countries, we do business. So if you can leverage the economic power that you have by walking into a room in Singapore, where, by the way, it is still illegal to be gay, 377A is still on the books, if you can leverage your economic power to say to the Minister of Family or the Monetary Authority of Singapore or any other business organization that gay people should actually be allowed to enter the country with their legally married partner because that matters to your business, that's how you can drive change. In a US perspective, you mentioned the boards, just one quick win that we've had recently. Hopefully everyone here saw the NASDAQ win uh, for the, the SEC and the requirement of, of board diversity. Our leadership worked with the NASDAQ over the last year using our quorum data, which is an LGBTQ board program we have to actually make sure that the NASDAQ's proposal to the SEC included LGBTQ people in the definition of board diversity. There are only 17 companies in the entire Fortune 500 that include LGBTQ people in that definition of diversity. And by our very, very scientific count, because it's not disclosed, so we basically just have to sort of hunt and peck and figure it out, there are 29 out board members out of 5,670, which is about 0.02%. Now, it's not about a percentage, but I would make the case that if between 10 and 30% of the US population identify as LGBT, we should have more outboard members at that point. So there's, there's a lot that's happening. And from a government perspective, you know, I think, I, I would argue that the business often leads government. It, we, I think without a doubt on issue after issue, it, despite the, uh, you know, I obviously won't make this conversation political. None of us have any interest in that. But obviously, regardless of the political trends that exist, and obviously we're in a rocky political time domestically, um, it, the, the private sector really has been driving progress here. And um, I've been trying to, I, my work has been on the political side, on the government side. But when you see the evolution of where the business community has, has gone here, it, it, is, it is truly remarkable. And I, I will say, though, that in, in that is connected to, um, I, I, I think that uh, allowing people to tell their stories and be publicly out um, does very much help uh, drive that progress. Um, and obviously allowing us to have this conversation with corporate leaders here um, and asking you to be allies alongside us really does matter too. I, I, even when I was one of the, when I, when I was ambassador, I think it, one of the things that's very interesting is that it, although I served with a number of other openly gay ambassadors, um, the vast majority of the other openly gay ambassadors would leave their same-sex spouses at home at official events. Um, there were a number of different reasons why. Very often it was because their countries didn't recognize their relationship as legal um, or some other reason. It could just be because they didn't feel comfortable. Uh, frankly, I, I could never have left my husband at home to go meet the queen. I would have gotten divorced. Like probably many of your spouses would feel the same way. So I always brought him with me. And that action, which is like the most normal thing in the world, became something that allowed young gay kids in the rural countryside of Denmark, where there is actually still homophobia, 
write me messages on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or write me letters being like, thank you. Or parents writing me letters saying, thank you for telling your story. Thank you for just being a simple role model and making, uh, making us understand that this world can be safe and happy and positive and successful for young LGBT people. And I think both from a leadership, both from an LGBT perspective, from openly gay people, but also from a, an ally standpoint, all that stuff really, really does matter. Well, so let's talk about allies for a second, because I think a lot of companies now have ally programs that are tied to their LGBTQ or diversity inclusion initiatives. And in my work with a lot of CEOs around the world, I kind of get the, okay, just give me the five things I need to know. I've got 10 minutes to talk about the gay thing that I'm going to go back to work. Let's, you know, give me, yeah. the, give me the shorthand. Um, and so Outleadership actually published some ally research this last year called Ally Up. And we surveyed 5,000 respondents from 11 countries to really kind of distill down what LGBTQ people need from their allies and what allies think they're supposed to be doing. And there's this disconnect there. And the number one thing that I say to allies is that they have to come out as well. So people always ask, you know, when did you come out? So, Ruth, when did you come out? Uh, so, uh, the first time. 1993. I was 18 years old, but I'm 47 now. Been out for almost 30 years. So we both came out at, at, at 18. I'm significantly younger than Ruth, this is. Not really. Um, <laughs> but coming out is a constant process. Every time I travel, I have to decide, do I come out? Every time I go into a conference room and a company, I have to decide, do I come out? And your LGBTQ colleagues and and friends and neighbors, et cetera, have to do the exact same thing. Coming out is a constant process for gay people. There is no, never one time. And you have to make that decision. And that actually makes us incredibly great empathetic leaders because we read a room. We walk into a room and have to read it for psychological safety. Are these people going to be okay if they find out I'm gay? And so from an ally perspective, when I say allies have to come out, you have to tell us that you are an ally. Otherwise, unfortunately, there's this psychological term called the assumption of negative intent, which means that gay people will think that you are not an ally unless you tell us otherwise. And there are great reasons for that, including the laws that I just mentioned earlier. There is a lot of discrimination that still exists against LGBTQ people, primarily religious-based issues. And so you do have to come out as an ally, and you have to come out constantly. I, I, and, and without a doubt, and I think that I think about this every day. You mentioned this, and this is, I'm very comfortable in my own skin. Here we are sitting at SALT conference talking about the fact that we're gay. But I still, I still have that internal dialogue when I walk into a new room and that the anxiety of the 16-year-old who was very, very ashamed of who he was continues to come out. Um, and so I, I, I go through that uh, in, in every new situation that I'm in. And frankly, you mentioned sort of countries around the world that are where the same sex relationships are still criminalized. And I have a global, well, I hopefully in my next, uh, uh, my next chapter will have a global job. And this will continue, and I will be protected by the US government in every way. But this will still be in the back of my mind every single time I am, I am engaging with world leaders uh, who come from a country where LGBT equality is not where it is in this country or in Western Europe. Um, because we are making, we have to understand that, and that it, that is, and you all should know that, that that is what your employees, your LGBT employees are thinking about when they go into these various scenarios where, whether it's true or not, feel unsafe, might be unsafe. And that that's why we, we, we actually have to kind of work together, uh, which is to your point on allyship, uh, to achieve equality. Well, and leveraging the assets that you have as a company. I um, One of my favorite stories, when I had my first Out Leadership Asia Summit, uh, in Hong Kong um, almost nine years ago, which was the first gay summit ever in Asia. Uh, the then CEO of HSBC, Stuart Gulliver, hosted the summit. 
I actually was a co-host with the CEO of Barclays at the time, Anthony Jenkins and Stuart Gulliver were co-hosting the first gay summit in Asia as two straight white CEOs, which was pretty awesome. And at the end of the dinner, there, was a, there were two screens, kind of like these, I guess, and they showed the HSBC building in Hong Kong. And if you've been to Hong Kong, you know the HSBC building, it's on the currency. It's like the Empire State Building here in New York. And in 37 years, they had never changed the colors of that building from red and white. And the CEO said, we've got a surprise for you. We think this is important. We want to send a message. And they start playing Rihanna's song, All of the Lights. And I'm like, oh, Gay Summit, we're going to play Rihanna, cool. And they show the screens, and the lights of the building go off. And three seconds later, it comes back up in a giant rainbow. And they rewired the entire HSBC building in the middle of Hong Kong into a giant rainbow and left it up for four nights. We later found out it was the single largest press event HSBC had anywhere in the world that entire year. Well, fast forward, every year they light it for the Out Leadership Summit, and now all their competition do as well. So Hong Kong is awash with rainbows once a year. And if anybody has Apple TV and the flyover screensaver, if you ever see the Hong Kong at night, it's taken during the Out Leadership Conference because it's all the rainbows. And if you think about that, that's a simple message. That's a simple symbol. But going back to my Singapore example, the next day, Stuart Guller flew to Singapore because he was chair of the Monetary Authority of Singapore. He had just hosted a gay summit, and now he's in Singapore in closed-door meetings with the Monetary Authority in a country where gay people still are criminalized. So the opportunity for you to leverage that soft power that you have is something I would encourage all of you to do. We have a ton of resources from an out-leadership perspective, our CEO briefs, et cetera, that, that I would encourage you to take a look at. Yeah, I, and I just reiterating what Todd said, that the impact that you can have for uh, maybe an employee that is in the closet that uh, hasn't hasn't had the confidence to actually come out maybe out in his private his or her private life but not not out in his his, his professional life uh the, that leaders that allied leader ceos not even just ceos but any sort of manager um it, it, the impact's real so i want to do something a little bit different Ruth. we've got just a few minutes left um i, I want to do a quick little audience participation moment here <laughs> I, I feel like you know people are maybe on their phones or maybe not even uh fully there so um We've been talking about LGBT rights and equality and, oh, there we go. Thanks, Joe. And so I, I, I want to do a little bit of a survey. How many of you would say if I came to work at your company, it would totally be okay to be gay or it's totally okay to be gay right here in the room? Just show of hands. Like, how many would you say? Okay, that's pretty good. How many of you would say, you know what, uh, give it a little bit of time. You know, maybe it's not so cool because we've got folks in Kansas or Tennessee or, you know, all these other places. You know, maybe give it a year. How many would you give, like, middle of the road? No hands, okay. So then I'm guessing, but let's still ask, how many of you would say, totally don't do it, not cool, can't come out here? Nobody, all right. Well, so I wanna stress test that a little bit. I wanna find, a, I wanna actually talk to a couple of gay people in the audience and see if that's true for them. So I'm not gonna ask for volunteers. Um, you know, Rufus can back me up on this. Gay people have this thing we call gaydar. Have you guys heard of gaydar? So it's the ability for gay people to find and point out other gay people. We just like, it's just like this ability to like find gay people through the eye of sight. So I'm just going to point out a couple gay people here in the audience and I'm just going to ask them. So get a little. And I'm not going to do that. But I want you to think about if you had any fear in the pit of your stomach, if he pointed at me, would I be embarrassed? Would I be shamed? Would it be different for me the next day I went back to work? That's the feeling gay people have every single day when they're in their closet. So as you're going out today and you're thinking about going back to your office or going back to your workplace or going back to your ambassadorship or going back to the federal government. And, 
can end it tonight too because i actually love first of all i love that everyone raises their hands when they think that their businesses are a welcoming place for lgbt workers but what what are what's the data because we didn't actually talk about that well technically they're really not the number one thing that lgbtq people need allies to do is to actually stand up and say something in a room in a situation in a company etc the number one thing allies think they're supposed to do in a company is go to the gay cocktail right you've got an employee resource group you know, show up and have a drink versus using the platform like that's why this conference matters so much that's why i'm so grateful that joe and, and anthony invite us to this conference because I don't know how many times you hear about LGBTQ issues and business conferences, but I bet it's pretty slim. I mean, I get to come to a number, which is wonderful. Yeah. But you know, this isn't a diversity conference. This is a leadership conference, and leadership matters. So I would say making sure that you are coming out as allies, that you are actually making sure that if you work for a hedge fund, do you have a diversity investment mandate? Do the companies you invest in have diversity on their boards? I bet they do, but I bet they don't have LGBTQ in that definition. You've got tons of assets to deploy in the marketplace. Use that economic power that you have to make sure that LGBTQ people are represented, that you're not investing in states, for example, where LGBTQ people are marginalized. We have a climate index that Out Leadership has built that we update every single year, and we rank U.S. states on how LGBTQ friendly they are. And there are some really terrible states. And we actually know data-wise that LGBTQ people will leave an LGBTQ unfriendly state to move to a more friendly state and they're willing to give up a third of their compensation to do so. So from an economic argument perspective, you have a massive opportunity to create change. We're working with a lot of like BlackRock, for example, just joined out leadership. We've had a number of hedge funds and a number of private equity firms. Lloyd Blankfein was our first board member, for God's sake. We have a lot of leaders who have used their platforms to help us advocate for this. And I think that would be the ask for both Rufus and I. Following this conference, I'd really love for a number of companies that have never been involved to be involved. Join out leadership, join the coalition of companies that we are creating around the world to advocate for this change and this equality, because it is a business issue. It is. And, and I would say in, in closing, I would say this, it's that for all the progress we have made and, and, and we've made remarkable progress because the, the, the board conversation that I referenced in the 90s, it would be unthinkable in the United States these days, maybe not unthinkable, but very unlikely in the United States, certainly in, at a high level. But the fact is that we are sliding backwards in a number of different ways, not only in, not only in certain states in the United States, but also globally. Um, and uh, so there is work to be work to be done that, that that this fight, this fight for equality, as this as this panel is called, it can never be over because the moment you stop fighting for equality um, is the moment you start losing, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So with that, we want to thank you for in inviting us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the participation. Hopefully that was actually stressful a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, and Joe and Anthony, thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks. Yep.